verse number 8 of Revelation chapter 8. The Bible said, The second angel sounded, as it were a great mountain burning with fire were cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that you'll touch us these next few moments. Help us to not say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. But God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and leadership and direction tonight. And Father, for what you do, we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a few minutes tonight and pick up where we left off this morning uh, on this subject on when trumpets begin to sound. And really this morning as I was preaching, I intended to give uh, five fundamental truths that are revealed in this text uh, concerning these trumpets and what they have to do concerning God's judgment. And really just talked about the first one this morning out of verse number six where it said that seven angels which had seven trumpets prepared noticed themselves to sound. And the first uh, fundamental truth here is that my friend, it reveals the sound of his judgment. As we said this morning that God uh, never gives his judgment without a warning. Amen. And I don't want to re-preach that point tonight, but I would say this, that all of us here tonight have been blessed to hear the truth that we've been blessed to live in America and we've been blessed to live in the South and the Bible Belt. And so we are definitely without excuse. The warning has been given unto all of us tonight. And so it reveals the sound of his judgment. But then secondly, I want you to notice in verse number seven that it reveals the seriousness of his judgment. That when God begins to judge, when that first angel sounds that trumpet, notice as we talked about the, the fire, the hell, that's the, the, the hell fire, the, the balls of hell with fire mingle with blood that are cast upon the earth and, and the trees, uh, uh, one third of the trees and one third of the green grass is burned up. What is God saying through that? God is beginning to send his judgment and he wants this earth to know and all that are in this earth that God is serious about his judgment. You know, I think we're living in a time when people as a whole today uh, do not take God serious enough about the judgment of God, amen? What I mean by that is there was a time when you could witness to sinners and they would hang their head in shame and admit to you and be honest and say, you know, yes, I'm lost and I'm not right with God and, and I need to get right with God, you know that. And sinners would be honest about their sin because they knew that judgment was coming and they knew that they were under that judgment and they knew that God was serious about it but can I tell you we're living in a time when there's a generation that has come up they have been introduced to so many things and they have seen so many things uh, that now they have been desensitized uh, until they do not take the God serious enough when it comes to his judgment amen now the Bible said in Proverbs chapter one and verse number seven that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, amen? I think it is in the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 31 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we know that we ought to fear God's judgment, amen? Even though I'm saved and know I'm going to heaven, I do not look forward to the judgment seat of Christ, amen? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. I'm not looking forward to facing that judgment, but God is is a a God of judgment and God is serious about judgment, amen? You know the Bible said in Galatians 6 and verse number seven, be not deceived, 
God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, of that shall he also reap. So we know that when we sin in this life, we're gonna reap it in this life, amen? You say, how do you know that? He that soweth to the flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. You're not gonna reap corruption in the next life, isn't that right? The flesh always brings uh, corruption in our life. And he that soweth to the spirit, shall the spirit reap life everlasting. So my friend, when you and I sow to the flesh, we reap uh, that in this life. For the wages of sin is what? It is death, amen? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Brother Gravely, what are you saying? I'm saying all through the word of God. God reminds us over and over again that there is a judgment for all to have to face. There is a judgment for all to have to pay. Jesus said every idle word that man shall speak, he shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Friend, we're gonna face judgment. It may not be the tribulation period, but God is serious about judgment. Nobody gets by. Nobody gets by. You may look at the world tonight and say, well, they sure are having a big party out there, cursing God and cursing his name. And we live in a society that throws the word hell around as a byword. Listen, I think hell ought to be used in its context as it's used in the word of God. Amen. They laugh about hell. They tell people to go to hell. They use it in such a vile way. But I'm telling you, friend, hell is not something that we're to use lightly or to take lightly. It sure isn't some laughing matter. Amen. I'm here to tell you there are souls of men that are suffering in the pits of the damned tonight of hell and Jesus spoke more about hell than what he did heaven and he warned men of the fires of hell. What I'm saying is uh, we ought to take the judgment of God seriously. While the world looks like tonight that they're escaping that judgment, having a heyday in control and doing what they're wanting to, our text proves this tonight, is that God is serious and he's keeping a record. He has a record tonight of all of us. He has a record of every word that's ever rolled off our tongue. He has a record tonight of every deed that you and I have done in this life. He not only has a record of that, but he knows the motive of every deed. God knows not just what I'm preaching tonight, but he knows why that I'm preaching this message. He knows the songs that was just sung, but he also knows the motives of those songs in the heart of each person that just sang and played. What are you saying? I'm saying God is preparing us for judgment. Tonight, the question is, are you ready for judgment? Are you prepared for that judgment? I think we ought to live our life in light of that judgment. We ought to witness to others in light of that judgment. When we see our family members, we ought to think about the seriousness God uh, has toward judgment. When you see a hippie or you see a drunk or you see a, a Mormon or you see a Catholic, you ought to think about the seriousness of God's judgment, that all their religion and all, their, uh, all of their righteous living, uh, righteous living, all the things that they are doing tonight will not do them any good on judgment day. We ought to look past their sin and see their soul and have a broken 
brokenness for who they are and where they're headed. They're blind and walking in darkness tonight and we hold the truth and in our hearts uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessel that is the gospel, the Holy Spirit living inside of us uh, and we can share that with this lost and dying world. I still say tonight the heartbeat of God is that we pull men from the burning, amen? Is that we rescue the perishing and we care for the dying. It's not that we build nice, fancy, elaborate buildings and I'm not against that by no means. It's not that we have all kinds of different events and things that goes on and I'm not against having some fun and fellowship with the house of God but the heartbeat of the church, what God and the only thing that God is interested in this day and time is that we might be a light in a dark world, is that we might be a city set on a hill, that we might be the salt of this earth, that we might be the light of this world because God is interested in souls because he's serious about judgment, amen? And so it reveals the seriousness of God's judgment and then I think verse number eight reveals the strength of his judgment. As the Bible said, the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. When you think about all that is taking place, a great mountain pushed off into the sea, a third part of the sea, all that is in it dies and the sea is boiling and it's boiling out blood to the top of that surface and one third of the world's ships. You think about the great ships uh, that have been built across this uh, across this world and around this uh, globe uh, and one third of them uh, is going to be destroyed destroyed uh, in just a matter of a few moments you know what that proves uh, it proves the strength uh, of God's judgment tonight amen how foolish is man to mock God how foolish tonight is anyone to be angry or bitter at God. You know, you might even be saved tonight in this church and be bitter toward God. I've seen it. I, I don't look down on people like that because I realize in my flesh the same thing could happen to me. And I remind you, the Bible said in all of this, Job sinned not, nor cursed God with his lips. Job, through all that he'd been through losing 10 children, all the financial gain that he had ever had in this life, losing his own health and his own wealth and losing his children to this world. I know that we know where they're at, but he still it was still a loss in the lives of Job as they were no longer with him, digging 10 graves in one day, having 10 funerals in one day. His wife no doubt could not even stand to see him in the condition that he was in, but in all of this, he never cursed God. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, and blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I want to say to you tonight, you might be here and be bitter at God. We have no right to be bitter at God. I understand things in my life and things that I'm facing, and I've tried to serve God. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't served God like you should, you know there's self-inflicted wounds, but maybe you have tried to serve God, and you've done your best, and you've tried to live for God. I know that we all have our faults and failures, but in spite of all of that, you would say to yourself, in spite of all that I've done, things have still not turned out in my life the way that I thought they would. Things have happened beyond my control, and my heart is broken, and it is somewhat bitter. I would say, 
you tonight, what you need to do is get on this altar and let God exchange that bitterness for grace. Uh, let God take all that bitterness out of your life. You say, how do I get bitterness out? I tell you how you get bitterness out. You get broken, amen? And when you get broken and you start weeping and you start crying out to God, what that is, that's releasing all that anxiety. It's releasing all that frustration. It's releasing all that anger that's been bottled up and trapped inside of you that's making you the miserable person that you are. Well, just like God has strength in judgment, he also has strength in grace, amen? And he's able to take the bitterness uh, that is uh, that is in your life, uh, he's able to take the bitterness that is in there, he can take it out tonight, friends. I never will forget witnessing to a man one time in an old trailer he was tearing down. And that man was so bitter. And for 30, 35 minutes, I sat down on a stool, never meeting the man, first time I'd ever shook hands with him. And I let him just, I could see the anger in his eyes and the bitterness in his voice. You say, preacher, was he saved? I, without a doubt. But I let him for 35 minutes. He yelled and screamed and, I mean, talked to me and had never even seen me before. And I started to walk away when he first just exploded and the Holy Spirit said, just sit there. Just listen to him. What I thought would be five minutes was over half, or half an hour. You know what he was doing? He was getting all that that was in him out. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not signing up to sit down for anybody to scream at me tonight. <laughs> Don't, if you got them issues, I mean, go talk to the wall, then come talk to me, amen? But in that occasion, I was like, this guy just needs to get all this out. And when he got it out, I put my arm around him. I said to him, I said, Terry, I said, you know God loves you. Do you believe that? He just went to weep. I said, your problem's not what everybody's done to you and how wrong they've treated you. I said, your problem tonight is you're bitter over the mishaps of life. I said, you believe God, and I'm gonna tell you something. I saw the grace of God work in that man's life. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you don't have to live with bitterness. Brother, I'm telling you, that, that, that star that's gonna come down, that wormwood, that's the name of that star being Wormwood. You know what it does? It poisons the waters and kills a third of mankind. Can I tell you something? That's what bitterness will do in your life. It will kill you. You may still be functioning physically, but spiritually it shuts you down tonight. You would be shocked the people sitting in churches that are bitter at their husbands, bitter at their wives, children that's bitter at their parents, parents that's bitter at their children. People that's bitter at the pastor. There's pastors that are bitter at their churches tonight. It can happen to any of us tonight. And a bitter experience can cause a, a bitter expression or a bitter taste in your mouth. There's no sin in having to taste bitterness. The sin is when you continually chew on it and, and swallow it over and over again. You can't help it when a bitter experience happens, but you can pray for grace and you can pray for God's mercy. You don't have to live with it. You can put it in his hands and, and go on and serve God in spite of all of that. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm talking about the strength of God's judgment. I don't want to live under the judgment 
judgment of God because I live a bitter life. Amen. I don't want to live, uh, uh, listen, under the judgment of God because I choose a, a life of bitterness. And I don't know why the Lord would have me say all that tonight other than to say this. The strength of his grace is as strong as the strength of his judgment. But hear me well tonight, friend. God will pr- provide judgment upon this earth. Man is going to face the judgment of God. And man is foolish to be bitter at God. It's foolish to mock God. Because one day, as we see in this text, in verse number 10 and 11, in just a moment, just the sound of one trumpet, and he has destroyed so many things. God is showing his strength. Then there's the sovereignty of his judgment in verse 10 and 11. As he talks about this third angel sounds, this great star falls from heaven, burning as it were as a lamp. Everything is burning. The hell fire mingled with blood. The mountain is burning. Listen, the star is falling as a burning as it were of a light. Why is God using fire in every one of these things? Even when he turns the lights out on the sun, the moon, the stars, everything has to do with fire. You know why? Because fire represents judgment, amen? And God is showing this world who is really in charge of judgment and we see here the sovereignty of his judgment that there is no demon in hell that is more powerful and more life friend than the Lord Jesus Christ and God himself God is proving his sovereignty that even as his star is cast out of heaven God is showing mankind who really is moving the pieces of the puzzle who really is in charge that everything though it looks like it is spinning out of control everything is falling right into place as God designed it and as God pinned it down in his word tonight. You know, if you have any pr- trouble believing the Bible tonight, just do one thing. Go home. Start in the book of Genesis chapter one and read the first two chapters of cre- concerning creation. Then walk outside and look up in the heavens and look around. Read them again in the morning and walk outside and look up over the horizon and look around. And see if everything that God said in chapter one and two, if you can't see it out there. And if God was right in the first two chapters, I got news for you. He's right in the rest of the whole book. Amen. Amen. He was right when he told Adam and Eve not to eat and partake of it. Isn't that right? He was right when he sent his flood upon this earth and destroyed it and put a promise in the cloud. If you don't believe the Bible, listen, just wait till there's rain and sunshine. I'm sure that's gonna happen this week, amen? And when it does, just look around and see if you see a bow up in that cloud because that same bow that's in that cloud is in this book, amen? And if God was right then and you can see it in the sky, guess what? It's still right. If God, if you can see in the world, does not nature itself teach us? If I can go outside and see the handiwork of God and see his sovereign power and see his sovereign strength. Why would I doubt anything else in the Bible if he was right in creation? He was right at Calvary, amen? And if he was right at Calvary, guess what? He's gonna be right in his coming and he's gonna be right in this catastrophe that's gonna take place. Everything God said, it has, it will, and it shall come to pass, amen? He's right tonight. You think about the strength of his judgment and then you think about the sovereignty. I'm not a Calvinist, but I believe we serve a sovereign God. I think God gave me a free will and choice. I could decide tonight it would be the most foolish decision of my life, but I could decide tonight to quit serving God. I could walk out the building tonight, fold my Bible and quit 
And God is not going to make me serve him. He may put me in an early grave, and I think he would. Brother David, he's not going to make me serve him. He's so, but he's sovereign, isn't he? You know what sovereignty proves? It proves that I, st- I still have a choice. I still have a, a will. But in the end, when we get to the end of life, when we get to the end of this book, God is going to have his way. Now, I can choose. I, I listen, I've been saved. But if I wasn't saved tonight, listen, I can reject God or receive God, uh, receive Christ tonight or reject him. And that would determine my eternal destiny because God is sovereign and God made a way so that man would have a choice. That's the sovereignty of God in salvation but I want to say this tonight when it comes to the end friend God's already designed it he's already ordered in the book of Revelation and everything he put in this book is going to come to pass and Obama can't stop it and Trump can't stop it and I want to tell you listen no world leader can stop it I'm telling you it's not going to be the Democrats and the Republicans that's going to make the final decisions and choose the course of this world it's not going to be the president of Russia or China or anywhere else but there is one setting high lofty in the heavens my friend he sits high on a sovereign throne he knows the affairs of men and nothing happens in this world that what it doesn't pass through his hands he is in charge he is never surprised and my friend in the end guess what he'll still be on the throne amen and it proves the sovereignty the devil's never won anything tonight you know that He's more powerful than us, but brothers, he's never won nothing. He lost in creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, he thought he had them. God already had a lamb before the foundation of the world. He thought he won at Calvary when God turned the lights out, but what he didn't know is that three days later, there's gonna come a resurrection day. It looked like the devil won and Jesus lost at Calvary. But three days later, there come a rustling in the grave clothes. The stone, my friend, was rolled away. And my friend, he had done took the keys from the devil himself. You know why? Because the devil's never won nothing. And God's never lost anything. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a person. He's never lost a soul. I'm telling you, he's never lost anything. He's kept everything. We're kept by the power of God. Why? Because he is sovereign tonight. Amen. The sovereignty of his judgment. And in that judgment, God will make every wrong right. He will make every crooked path straight. And then I see this in closing. There's the steadfastness of his judgment. When that fourth angel sounds, the sun, the moon, the stars are smitten one third of them, one third of the day, one third of the night. God turns the lights out in verse number 12, gives man what he wants. But in verse number 13, that angel, he said, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. You see, these first four judgments are judgment of wars. But these last three judgments are judgments of woe. What I would say to us tonight is this. God will be steadfast. Once his judgment starts, it will not stop until it reaches an end. Now, I personally believe this tonight. If you don't believe this, it would be just fine. But I personally do not believe the marriage supper will be in heaven. I think it will be here on earth. If you believe it's in heaven, that's okay. I I wouldn't debate the issue. I think Matthew chapter 25 proves that there will be the rapture 
There will be the judgment seat and there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I personally believe it'll be here during the millennial on earth. I think Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, proves that is to the nation of Israel. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 proves judicial and, and legislative and executive uh, rights into the millennial kingdom and then the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. All of this, I think, is setting place. But you say, preacher, why do you not believe that? I'll tell you why I don't believe that. I just don't think, according to scriptures in Matthew 25, I personally do not believe that while there is judgment on earth and people are in hell and Israel is going through their judgment, that we personally are having the time of our life around the throne of, around the marriage supper. I think that will be in its proper time and place and I believe Israel will be there. For what Christ is to the church, God is to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You don't have to believe that tonight. Find out what you believe. Doesn't change anything in the end, does it? But I'll tell you why I said all that to say this right here. If that is true, that judgment seat is going to be seven years. And I'm not putting a time where God don't put a time, but what I'm telling you is this. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a hop, skip, and a jump to the marriage supper. There's not going to be the sound of the trumpet and a quick trip, and here we go to dinner. It's not going to be that way, friend. Every idle word that man shall speak, he'll give an account in the day of judgment. I don't know about you, that scares me to death. I'm going to heaven. That strikes fear in my soul tonight. Every idle word that I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about. The foolish idle words that I've said. You ever said something and the Holy Spirit said, okay, stop. That's far enough. You said too much. It's a lot to give an account for, ain't it? As we stand tonight, God's judgment tonight. Lord, help me. Lord, set a watch before my lips. God's serious about judgment. Tonight, as Christians, we need to be serious about it. The Bible says for us to judge ourselves. Uh, we're to constantly say, Preacher, how do you judge yourself in light of God's Word? Behold our face in the mirror of God's Word and let it reflect and tell us. We're to use judgment. I think we get in trouble as Christians when we just haphazardly go through our life and never, we never judge ourselves. We don't put ourselves under the microscope and then we start looking at others. It's so easy to find things in other people's lives and bypass ourselves. And I'm telling you tonight, self-judgment is the best judgment you can ever use. I'd rather see my fault today, repent, make it right, and have that recorded and record. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Brother David sings tonight, if you need to come, you obey God.